0: Hello, my name is Sila and I'm an alcoholic.
1: Welcome back to Progress Over Perfection. I'm Russell Fugit here with my wife, Sila Fugit, And thank you for staying with us on this journey. As you might imagine, as you heard uh, from the title in the very beginning, this is a very important episode. And in so many ways, everything has been building up to this episode. So I know Sila has a few things she wants to share with you before we get going.
0: So hello, friends. I just want to say I'm so thankful that you're still on this journey. Today's podcast is going to be the most difficult and vulnerable podcast to date. This episode is the whole entire reason that I started this podcast. Um, I'd never uttered these words publicly or to such a large audience. But hello, my name is Sila and I'm an alcoholic. On today's podcast, I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope. My prayer is that you can take something away with you from this podcast that will encourage you or you can use it to encourage someone else. If you know someone who is struggling with addiction or you are concerned with a friend or a loved one's amount of drinking, please share this podcast with them. I will share a message at the end of encouragement directly for the person you shared this with. This has been such a difficult yet rewarding journey, and I hope that this episode helps you see areas in your life that might need more attention or have more grace for someone you love that is struggling with addiction. So if you've listened to previous episodes of my podcast, you'll know that I didn't grow up with an awareness of drugs or alcohol or how dangerous alcoholism could be. Um, You might remember that I didn't actually have my first drink until I was 32. And my exposure to alcohol was definitely very minimal. Um, There was no drinking in the home that I grew up in. I didn't hang out with people that drank in high school or even as a young adult. Uh, When I first started drinking, it was not something that I abused. I was very careful. Um, I drank in moderation and alcohol definitely did not control or have any power over my life. Um, I could have a drink or two and stop. Um, But as any alcoholic will tell you, this is a disease. Uh, The disease of alcoholism is definitely a, a progression and I definitely grew into that. Um, Drinking became a bigger part of my lifestyle when I became a mom. Um, I had put a lot of pressure on myself as the type of mom I was supposed to be or um, what I thought I should be, and I couldn't keep up with my own unspoken expectations. Uh, the stress and pressure of feeling like I wasn't good enough took a toll on my mental health, and I started drinking as a way to self-medicate Um It didn't help that there's such a culture of drinking around parenting these days. There's so much focused around rewarding yourself with wine or drink. I'm in a ton of moms groups and I feel like every meme, everything that's passed around on social media pushes drinking so much as a reward for parenting. I'm sure you've seen them. It's like, oh, you parented well today, have a bottle of wine tonight. Or, um, what's the one I saw recently? I have this special bottle of wine in my fridge for times like today called Wednesday, you know, and and it's such like a, a thing in social media. And I fell into that trap. Um, I would see other moms killing it on social media or what I thought was killing it on social media, because as I have come to realize that is people's, um, What do you call it, Russ? Highlight reel. Highlight reel. Thank you. It is people's highlight reel. It is not real life. And so what I was seeing, I thought, oh my gosh, she's such a great mom. I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to give my kids that. Um, And I would compare myself so much, and it would make me feel like even more of a failure in motherhood. Um, And I just want to say that I am in no way blaming anybody but myself. I chose to pick up a drink. I chose to have drinks and abuse alcohol. Nobody forced that on me. And I take accountability for that 100%. But I am aware that there are a ton of social factors that help people abuse alcohol. Um, and make it very, very hard to stop. Our lives revolve around drinking more than any generation before ours. Uh, For example, I can't even go to the nail salon without being offered alcohol. And just recently, I turned them down. The guy asked me doing my nails, do I want champagne? I said, no, I don't drink. He asked me a second time. I said, I'm sober. I guess he doesn't know what sober meant because then he's like, oh, you don't drink with your husband? dude i'm sober i don't drink with anybody <laughs>
1: and i don't even like champagne like that i mean you know on special occasions but not like regular wednesday night Like yes you said. wednesday yeah <laughs> the pop memes. a bottle of
0: champagne like i'm good <laughs> no but like it's pushed constantly most kids birthday parties alcohol is yeah. served and it doesn't matter what time of the day it is restaurants push out push alcohol more than ever before russell and i were recently at a restaurant in new jersey and they kept coming like do you want something from the bar do you want something yeah. so i'm like how many times have they asked yeah.
1: us? We ordered appetizers. We ordered yes. you know, our, what we did want to drink. And then we ordered our food. And even after we ordered our food, they came back again and asked us, do you want anything from the bar? And I understand it. I It's a anyway, business, but yes. it's still a lot. It's, a lot. it's a
0: lot. It's a lot. And now like everything <laughs> is drinking. We have yeah. Wine Down Wednesday. We have Thirsty Thursday. We have Bottomless Mimosas. And now since the pandemic, we have alcohol delivery. You don't even need to leave your house and it'll show up for you. It is very, very hard. Hard to say no when everything in your mind and your body is telling you yes and reminding you how much better you will feel if you have that drink, which I know is not the truth. It is not going to make you feel better in the least bit, but everything tells you. It's so, so hard to say no when people are constantly pushing it at you. Um, I became a wine guide with an MLM company. Um, and I talked about that briefly on our last podcast about being careful about L MLMs. Um, mine was more of an addiction standpoint because I joined this company to be a wine guide and I felt like I had met my people, people that loved wine as much as I do, you know, and there were all these wine events and parties and this and that, and we would sit around and drink wine and act like we were doing research and you know, all of that stuff. So towards the end of working with that company, I started to realize that many of the people that were in this company with me, drank alcoholically, and they probably joined the company for some of the same reasons I did, that you get to drink for free. Um, But they too were alcoholics. Um, I joined the company as a side gig um, when money was tight for us and there were things that I wanted to do um, for our kids or have additional like fun money. Um, But I quickly realized that that actually was helping in the progression of my alcoholism. My drinking was out of control, honestly, guys, and affecting relationships, probably with a lot of people that I maybe didn't even realize, but most importantly, with Russell. I could list off a bunch of horribly embarrassing stories about me and my adventures in drinking, um, but I'm not going to do that on this podcast. I'm going to save those for my AA meetings or for when I meet with people one-on-one you know i don't feel it's it's beneficial to share just know there was some really difficult times Um, I will say that I was never a day drinker. A lot of people think that an alcoholic is someone who drinks all the time and that is not the case at all. Uh, My drinking would start with a bottle of wine while cooking dinner um, and then it would progress to another bottle or more um, in the evenings. Uh, My drinking never stopped me from doing my job or being a great employee. I never called out sick. I never missed work deadlines yet. And I say yet, Because alcoholism is such a slippery slope. And I know in my heart that it was probably only a matter of time until my drinking affected all areas of my life. Um, I'm so thankful that I've never hurt anyone. I've never um, been arrested for driving drunk again yet. Um, I'm also thankful that I've never experienced those things to To realize that my drinking was out of control, that I didn't have to get there yet for me to realize that there's a problem. Um, I will say my drinking got heavier towards the end of my father's life in 2018. I didn't know really how to cope with that. You know, no one teaches you how to lose a parent. There's, you know, there's no guideline, there's no book, you know, on how to do this healthy um, at least I've ever read. So I definitely coped in very unhealthy ways Um, while in the process of my dad's dying and him being hospitalized for for a period of time, quite a while actually, and then um, after his passing. And that's probably when my drinking became the most. Um, Labor Day 2018, my husband planned and conducted an intervention for me. Guys, I had no idea what I was walking into until I walked into that room. And then I thought to myself, holy crap, the gig is up. Like they're, I'm not going to be able to drink anymore. I know what's going down. I know what they're going to tell me. I know what this is. I've seen intervention on A&E before. I knew exactly what it was when I walked in and I was terrified. So I want to pause for a second and maybe have Russell share a little bit about what what, what gave you the strength to do that? Because that's a hard thing to do is an intervention for somebody. I'm sure someone's listening that thinks I'd love to help my family member, but doing an intervention, that seems a lot.
1: Um, well, first of all, just not the timing of it. It was, I think two weeks after your, your father had passed. And, um, I think it just became evident to me and to, to, to others in our family that you, you weren't, you weren't well, you weren't your best self. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I had the most intimate knowledge and understanding of it. And I know getting through your father's illness, you know, he was in the hospital for weeks, um, and we thought he'd be coming home. Right. To okay. continue forward. And and as we got towards the end, obviously, we became clear that that wasn't the case. And he was in hospice. And even when he got the hospice, he wasn't there quite as long as we thought he'd be. And that was a very dif- difficult season and difficult um, time for for all of us. And, you know, we, I think at the time were um, coming into like maybe a year on into our new house. And that had created new financial stress on us, certainly. And there was just a lot going, you know, a lot going on. And I know for me, just kind of jumping back a little bit. You know thinking that you know if I could i if I could just get my business going, i could I could relieve the stress and the pressure and and can kind of manage and control this. i, I you know to give perspective, I've not grown up around um addiction or alcoholism, right? Um, so that, that's something i'm I'm aware of, and I've certainly, uh, seeing people, particularly in hindsight, who were alcoholics or addicts in in college, certainly right, and probably in other seasons and areas of my life too, but it wasn't something I really had to grow up with or had a loved one that experienced this. So for me, it was the, the, I, the, understanding it for myself has been a journey, right? So as someone who's who's my wife's partner, to understand what it means to be an alcoholic, to understand what it how it impacts the brain, to understand how it impacted me and our family. Um, it's been a whole a whole journey, but going back to that particular uh, time, it just became evident that um, the, the path that you, that you were on was not a healthy one, and that we needed need to communicate how much we loved you, and how how much uh, we you know we wanted you to be healthy and whole, and how much we'd hope you know you you could change, and we wanted to partner with you to support you in doing whatever was needed or required to get all the help you needed so that. Um, you could you could be healthy. And, um, and I think at that point, I know we had had conversations and oftentimes between the, you and me, those conversations just between the two of us had not in our own home had not gone well. Um, and I felt that, you know, I think sometimes you felt shame or embarrassed. Yes. And to be honest, you, you know this now, sometimes you weren't straight honest with me <laughs> about your drinking and, and what I, I was observing and what yeah. I was noticing. And, and you would make excuses. You were just tired or you just, you know, missed a step or whatever the case might've been. Um, you know, and, and so of course I'm concerned for your health. I'm concerned for our, our children, um, and being in that environment. And so it just they all come to a head in that, in that season, unexpectedly similar unexpected, how your father passed kind of made things abundantly worse and, and clearer to others in our family. And, and so it was, it was time for something to, to be different. And, I just had to communicate how much I loved you and valued you no matter what happened, that I wanted you to be as healthy and whole as possible. And that was my focus in our marriage is that you always be um, healthy, as healthy as possible and as whole as possible and be the, the best mother and wife and employee and sister and and daughter and friend you could be. And um, and you were not that in that season, and we and I loved you enough, and we loved you enough to to say that with you, and to not shame you or embarrass you, but to say we're here to support you and being who we know you are and who we know you can be, and so that's really the heart that was the heart of it, it was was out of love and not condemnation, um, and and that we were you know in partnership on this journey, and we continue in partnership on this journey of sobriety. So
0: thank you. I want to add that not everybody has a a loved one or a spouse that will have the bravery to do what Russell did. Um, An intervention is is a difficult thing to do. Um, And sometimes you have to do what you know you need. Um, And I've heard it called a reverse intervention before. So I want you to know if you're struggling with drinking and you know your family is not the type of family that's going to step up and create an intervention for you, do it for yourself gather your support system, ask your parents, your sibling, your friend, your coworker, whoever is in your life, your spouse, um, gather them and tell them that you're struggling with drinking and that you want to stop and that you need their help to stop. Ask them to keep you accountable. Ask them to be there for you. Go to a meeting with you. You know, don't wait for someone to do this for you. You can stage your own intervention. Okay. Um, So, back to our story. Um, So, the day of my intervention, we were going to a Labor Day barbecue with our entire family uh, that afternoon. I was prepared for that barbecue. I had a bottle of wine in the car. I was ready to go have a good old time. Um, But at that intervention, I made a commitment that I wouldn't drink anymore and that I would go to rehab. And that was really hard because at first they wanted to send me away to rehab, like inpatient away. And I just could not imagine leaving my girls or my husband.
1: I wasn't really a proponent of that, but it, I, it was certainly an option on the table, right? Yeah. I, you know, I'm the kind of person, if you know me, to leave no stone unturned. So <laughs> to yes. get to get to the outcome, I'm very outcome-oriented, so anyway.
0: So I decided that I was going to do outpatient, and that Monday. I went and had a meeting, got signed up and started immediately. Um, It was humiliating. I got to be honest with you guys. It was a very difficult experience, Um, but I needed to hear other people's stories. I needed, you know, to have an understanding of the severity of alcoholism. I didn't know Um, there were people in rehab with me that were court appointed, job ordered um, and had gone so far down the path of alcoholism. I sat there in that room thinking, how are they ever going to recover for this? I mean, story after story, it was heartbreaking to sit in those rooms, look around and see what my life could become if I didn't stop drinking. I realized at that time that I had a very skewed idea of what alcoholism is. I thought it was the person living under the bridge, drinking out of a brown bag, or the woman panhandling on the streets for her next drink or drug. And that is the furthest thing from alcoholism. The alcoholic is the mom in the carpool line with wine in her travel mug, okay? Or the man that's always red in the face and hot because of the amount of alcohol he consumes. Um, the the person that carries minis in their purse, minis are the little, little small bottles of alcohol um, because they know they're going to a restaurant that doesn't serve alcohol. Um, or the woman that hides the wa- hides empty water bottles filled with vodka under her kitchen sink because she doesn't want her husband to know how much she's truly drinking. Um, I'm sure your minds are probably racing right now thinking maybe people do that. Or maybe you're thinking, I am that person. I have done that. Um, or I know somebody like that. You know, and, and that's the whole reason that I want to do this is to just kind of continually bring awareness um, during my four months of outpatient rehab, I learned so much about drugs and alcohol. But I gotta tell you guys, I learned more about myself. I learned more about what I needed to change and who I was and what got me to that point. Um, I was faithfully committed to rehab. I went to it daily for four months and that was that was hard, you four, know. Four days a week. Four days a week, yeah, yeah. you know. And then I did AA meetings outside of that, along with the meetings that we did while in rehab every day. Um, While in that rehab, I lost two people in the program with me. One of them killed themselves and the other one died in a car accident while driving drunk. Um, It was really hard because you spend, even though I just met these people and it wasn't a long time, but you're spending every day talking and sharing
1: wasn't like six hours a day.
0: It was like four or five hours four, a day. Yeah. 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 You're sitting and they're strict. They right. blood test you. They urine test you. Like I couldn't take my purse in the bathroom with me. There was all these rules. Like I, I'd never been arrested or, you know, in jail or anything. like. But it felt like the closest thing to me for like being in a lot of trouble. Like <laughs> it was like, I had all these rules. I never, I couldn't take my purse in the bathroom. I'm like, seriously. Um, but it was because they were worried I'd put someone else's urine in in the, in the collection (laughs) thing. (laughs) So, you know, it it was a really hard time, but I connected with these people and to sit there with people and hear their stories and get to know them on such a deep level and then come in one day and they're not there. And the staff tell us that they killed themselves um, or they died driving drunk last night. I mean, that was really, really hard and it doesn't get any easier. I continue in AA and we've lost women in AA. One woman got so drunk She drove herself home, pulled into her garage and passed out in her car, didn't turn her car off. She killed herself probably on accident, but this is real life. These are real stories and real people that I've spent time with. And so I had never heard these type of things before coming into rehab and coming into the rooms of AA, um, while in rehab, I do want to add this, I learned that there was medication to help people stop drinking. I never knew that was a thing. I had no idea about an abuse or, n- or, naltrexone, or naltrexone, I'm say that correctly. Um, you know, it, But honestly, they're only good as long as you're willing to take them and you're committed to taking them. I definitely got to a point that I thought I didn't need them anymore, so I stopped taking them, um, which was a mistake. I definitely shouldn't have stopped taking them as early as I did. After completing rehab, I continued with my AA and I remained sober um, for about six months. And then I started questioning if I was really an alcoholic. Um, I told myself things like I could control my drinking and I wasn't ever really an alcoholic. I just didn't know how to control it properly. Um, So I started having a glass of wine here or there to prove to myself that I could still drink um, now that I'm educated on the dangers of drinking and I know when to stop and not drink alcoholically. Well, that only led to me lying to Russell and hiding my drinking again. And even though I thought I was hiding, I wasn't hiding. He knew, he would know instantaneously that something wasn't right. Um, I would go months without drinking and then I'd fall into the trap of you can have a drink. I had I had to constantly defend the fact that I wasn't drinking to people and that was really hard. So if you're listening and you have a friend who's trying to cut back on drinking please don't make the same mistakes that some people in my life did and say things like, so you're never going to drink again, like ever. Like <laughs> you're not going to have a few drinks. What about vacation? And what about this? And what about that? It's like
1: asking a diabetic, are they never going to have sugar again? Or like, you know, asking that someone with, with uh, you know, tongue cancer, they're never going to smoke cigarettes again. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of wild when you think about it, but I've heard people say that to her and it's like,
0: it's really, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard because you're already like, Upset that you're even an alcoholic, and then you have to defend your alcoholism your yeah, and your choice to right, get healthy for right. to people. Wow, it is such a <laughs> a, a weird place yeah, to be it's in. In, and our that, culture,
1: in our culture and our culture, and this so in ways around alcohol is is really is really sick.
0: Yeah, it was hard enough to say no to myself. Now I have a group of people questioning me. I got to say no to them too. So, just take that away. If you ever know someone encourage them. Say it's okay to have a mocktail. They make awesome mocktails. You know, you don't have to feel out of place. I've ordered iced tea in a wine glass before. It, it it's not everybody's business. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Um It did make it hard to remain sober the first year of sobriety. Um, Even though I fell a few times, I really, really wanted this. I got so caught up in thinking I was going to do this right the first time and really into like how much time I had and how much time other people had and how I'm going to get there. And yes, it's good to have people to look up to, but don't compare yourself to someone else's time in sobriety. You have to do this on your own. Um, In February, 2020, Russell and I had planned a five-year wedding anniversary cruise. And I got to be honest, guys, I was worried about the amount of drinking that I know goes on on a cruise ship and how was I going to remain sober. Um, But I will tell you with God's grace, I remained sober that entire trip. Um, And I realized like... I realize it, it, it is easy. You can stay sober yeah. on a cruise with a lot of people.
1: I want to go back a little bit and say one day at a time is the only yep. thing that matters. So some people yep. have 30 years. Some people have 30 seconds. One, so it's about today, right? Yep. First of all. And I think, and then on a cruise, I think I maybe had one drink, but I think, oh, I might have been, I can't remember if I was sober with you the whole time. You but... can't
0: drink. So that's what I found yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. This is, let me tell you all my I'm saving grace. Because my sneaky, my, I'm going to tell you something you might not know. Oh, okay. My sneaky alcoholic mind. No. Said, I'm going to figure out how to get me at least one drink on this cruise. I'm going <laughs> to okay. have a drink. No, I'm just, you know, Russell doesn't even know this. As he's hearing something new. Okay. I asked, and you know what they told me? You have to have a drink card. I said, I can't buy a drink. Nope. I you got to have a drink card. We didn't pay for the drink package. We didn't pay for so, the drink yeah, package. So there was, no, there was no option.
1: Yeah.
0: I was not strong enough. I I asked. I didn't have a drink, but I did ask. And mm-hmm. I want to be honest about that. Um, It was still something in me that I felt like that I was missing. But I did... Finish out that entire cruise completely sober without a drink. Um, we returned home right before Valentine's Day, February 13th. It's a Friday. I had gone to pick us up dinner. We didn't have, I didn't plan dinner. It was last minute. What do you want? da da da. da. I'm going to go grab it. I go to get it. Our dinner is not ready. And they offer me a glass of wine. And I decide to have it. And I decide to have a second one. And I felt so guilty after that. I came home. Russell knew immediately. I told him. He fussed at me and said, you need to get back to AA. You need to tell on yourself. Um, So that's exactly what I did. Um, I was angry with myself. I decided that um, I wasn't going to drink anymore. But guys, I want to tell you something. There's one thing I learned in AA, and it's called HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That was the reason I wanted that drink that night. I was hungry. I was a little frustrated that we didn't have a dinner plan and I'm out picking up dinner as if it's his job. It's not. I wasn't really lonely, but I was tired. You know, a lot had been going on and we'd just gotten back and the kids are calling at me and, you know, and so that is the whole hungry, angry, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That are the four things that people slip into drinking. Um, most of the time. Um, So uh, I went back to AA and with my tail between my legs, because now this will have to be probably like the third time I had to pick up a 24 hour coin. Um, And that is something in AA that we give out coins for people with lengths of sobriety, continuous lengths of sobriety. Um, And a 24 hour coin just symbolizes that I drank again and I'm ready to start again. I'm 24 hours sober, and I'm going to move forward with this. I also got back on my an abuse um, immediately, and that you know to just give me that extra boost that I needed, I shouldn't have come off of that in the first place, because if I would have been on that, I would have been so violently ill, that I wouldn't have wanted to take a drink, because if you drink on these medications, you get very sick. Um, this has been one of the toughest parts of my uh, sobriety journey, and I said this a minute ago, is that I feel like I thought I could do this. I've done great in in what I feel in my life. I've done great in a lot of things. And I thought I could do this. I thought that I I could get this the first time. And that wasn't the case for me. Um, We joke in AA, we have this saying about, we have to go back out and do more research. And that's kind of like where I was in that season. I I had not come to the realization that I was an alcoholic. I didn't like saying it. I didn't want to say it in a meeting. Um, I would not talk. In meetings, because when you talk, you say, "Hi, my name is Sila. I'm an alcoholic," and then you continue to share. And I wasn't really—I wasn't at a place that I wanted to say the, that those words. Um, so, I, in my mind, I had to go back. I still had more research to do, um, but it, it was—it was definitely a first difficult year. But I am so, so, so proud that I can say today that I am 20 months sober. And I haven't had a drink since that glass of wine on February 13th, 2020. Proud of you. Thanks. love you. Give me a second. Love you. Just uttering those words make me so emotional because I have fought so hard to get here, to get where I am today. And I know I have more fight. I know this is not going to be an easy journey, but I will tell you, if anyone says that getting sober is easy, they're probably not working the program of AA. They're probably what we call a dry drunk. And that is somebody who just decides they're not going to drink anymore, but doesn't do the work that they need to do to figure out what got them there and how to not drink again. Um, I have come to the realization that getting sober is not just about, it's not about just not drinking. It's about really doing the inner work. Drinking is a symptom of so many other things that I was not addressing in my life. I call it all of my other isms. And I have a lot of them. Um, But working the 12 steps of Hey of AA have made me come face to face with all of these character defects and be willing to work through them. And that's such an important thing to do. If you're going to choose to get sober, or you know, someone who's going to choose to get sober, encourage them to get into AA, to get into a program, um, or else they're just a dry drunk. And basically that means someone with all of their same behaviors and, um, attitudes and choices in life. The only thing that's different is they just don't consume alcohol and that's no way to live. So four weeks after my last drink was the COVID lockdown, y'all. Oh my (laughs) God. I was so worried about how am I going to remain sober, stuck in this house 24 seven with these children and my lovely husband, I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" But I tell you honestly, it, it was God. That's all it was. God gave me the strength to not pick up a drink. Um, Russell said this is a minute. Said this a minute ago, and I say it all the time, and we say it in AA: one day at a time. That was all I had to hold on to. I was not going to worry about tomorrow or next week or, oh my God, what if we're on lockdown for a month? Because at that point I thought it was just a couple weeks. I had no idea. And I couldn't absorb all of that at the moment. I had to say today, today, you're not going to drink today. You're going to get through the day and make healthy choices for yourself and not pick up a drink. And That's how I did it. Um, This season of COVID has been one of the most difficult times to get sober. AA no longer held meetings. All the meetings were shut down. So when the world went on lockdown, there was no support. Uh, and I felt like I didn't have the support. And as much as I love AA, they did not. They were not prepared to pivot to Zoom meetings right away. It took a while to be able to find Zoom because everything was in person and everything is anonymous. And you just say your first name. People don't even know how to find you, like Sarah S. Okay, that's gonna help me on Facebook. I met this wonderful woman, Sarah S, that could walk with me and sponsor me, but. I don't know her last name. How am I gonna find her? It it just it was so so difficult to to get sober during a pandemic. Um, I want to stop for a second because a lot of people often ask why I'm so transparent about the things I've been through um, with my in my podcast or even with this episode, and I have a few reasons. But most of the the most important reason is because of the freedom that I've found. And I can't keep that to myself any longer. I know that my passion and purpose is helping others find freedom, and that's freedom from anything. Freedom from alcoholism, addiction, childhood trauma, insecurities, family dysfunction, abuse, or anything else that's holding them back. I have been given this gift and I cannot keep it to myself. Getting sober was one of the best things I've ever done for myself. The amount of happiness and peace and clarity I have in my life right now is like nothing I've ever experienced ever. And I want to share that with others. I want others to know that you don't have to continue on this hamster wheel of life and just be running and going nowhere. Um, So I just really want to encourage you. One of the models of AA is that you hold the hand of somebody with more sobriety than you uh, with one hand. And then the other hand you hold of somebody newly in sobriety. Um, and if you're holding the hand of someone who is is above you in sobriety, who's been doing this for a while, who knows the ropes, and then you have your hand held out and you're holding the hand of somebody who's new in sobriety, who doesn't know what they're doing, has no idea and is on the verge of taking a drink every day then you have no hand, empty hand to drink with. Um, And so that's what I want to be for you, for anybody that's listening. Let me be that open hand for you. Please don't suffer alone. My hand is reached out and I am here for you. Please accept it. As I close out this podcast, I want to give honor to the woman who reached her hand to me, Irene Rollins. She is a pastor a Recovery Activist a gifted speaker, an author, an amazing mom and wife, and a fellow alcoholic. She was brave enough to honestly share her story of redemption and strength, and that is what helped me get sober. She is my role model in recovery and a dear friend. Without her love and support, I wouldn't be here today, guys. So thank you, Irene. Thank you for investing into my freedom so that I can invest lovingly into others' freedom I love you dearly my friend
1: well Sela thank you so much for for sharing that and I know it has not been easy you know t- today recording this and leading up to it I know yes. it's been a lot on your heart and on your mind and we've been praying through it and um just want to uh, say how much I admire your courage to share this. I know it's not been easy and uh, your courage has been something I've admired about you from the very beginning of our relationship. So I just want to um, acknowledge that and thank you and, and just say how proud I am of you for uh, sharing this with the world. Um, so, of course, we always end uh, each episode with some encouragement. I'm going to have a little bit at the end as well, but why don't you start us
0: off? All right. So I want to start with an encouragement to the person questioning if you have an issue with alcohol. Have you ever tried to cut back your drinking only to realize that you really can't? Do you need to have a drink after a hard or stressful situation? Uh, Do you tell yourself you're not gonna drink Monday through Friday and then get blackout drunk on the weekend? Or maybe you've said, I won't drink liquor anymore. I'm gonna switch to wine or beer. Or if you're anything like me, you've Googled, what is an alcoholic? If you've ever questioned if you have a drinking problem, then you already know in your heart and in your gut that there might be a problem. I get asked the question a lot when I share one-on-one with someone. They ask me, you know, do you think I have a drinking problem? Or they'll tell me. And honestly, no one can really tell you that. If you're questioning that you might be an alcoholic, my encouragement to you is to find an AA meeting. Um, If you hear something that resonates with you, uh, continue. Continue to be open and exploring that area of your life more. Um, Here's a really tangible um, thing that you can do. You can download the AA Meeting Guide app in the app store, um, and you can locate a meeting near you. I would recommend you going to an open meeting. An open meeting means that it's open to anybody, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, friend and family of an alcoholic. Um, If you are local to the Maryland DC area, I would be happy to help you and even go to a meeting with you. Please don't wait, make yourself a priority, make your health a priority. I promise it will help you in all areas of your life. And I'm here for you, don't do life alone. Second is the encouragement to the person this podcast was shared with. First of all, the person that sent you this podcast loves and cares for you so very much, full stop, okay? They may be concerned about the amount you're drinking and don't know how to tell you. So them sending you this podcast is them sending it to you in love, hoping that you accept it as that nothing but love, You may not be in a place that you want to hear this right now. I know I've been there. Um, It's okay to be angry. I was definitely angry the day that my husband had an intervention for me. But when I got out of my own feelings, I knew he wasn't trying to hurt me, but he was lovingly guiding me to a better, healthier life. If you're not ready to have the conversation with someone that sent you this podcast, that's okay too. Find someone else. Find a meeting. Reach out to me just don't suffer in silence anymore
1: or alone.
0: or alone right, amen right, right.
1: well i'm gonna add if you um have a loved one who's suffering with alcoholism or any addiction for that matter but today focusing on alcoholism don't give up on them and it may be a lot you had to learn There certainly was a lot that i had to learn about the disease and that's what it is and how it impacts the brain and why uh, my wife could drink, it, you know. Why, why my wife couldn't drink, and and, and I can, I could stop and never have a drink again the rest of my life, um, you know, and have that ability. But why, you know, why was she, you know, why would God make her differently, right? Having to understand that. So, you um, know, as you heard, you know, Sila didn't get sober on her first try. It's it's been a journey, and so I've had to learn <clears throat> about the, that journey as well and come to a level of acceptance and understand that it's it's a day by day. Uh, thing It's a season by season thing, even if you want to look at it a little more broadly, but really it's day by day. The work continues. It's a journey that's going to be a lifetime journey for her and for us as, as partners, as, as a couple. And so to understand that and to embrace that and to, and to um, understand that there's support for you as well. I attended Al-Anon meetings and I spelled A-L-A-N-O-N. You can find those meetings online as well. And it's a good Um, support network, even just to sit and listen. I didn't say a whole lot when I went to those meetings, but, you know, not there's a whole lot of time to talk because it's a group meeting, but definitely learned other people's stories and that definitely encouraged me to know that I wasn't alone in trying to understand and process what I needed to do to support um, my loved ones, so I had to be tough um, and very straightforward, um, you know, with my wife. And there were some tough moments, and I had to um, center our family and her health and our ch- that of our children, um, and, and you know, throw out some worst-case scenarios of, of drunken driving or uh, accident or something bad happening. And so to make her realize to. to prioritize her health for the sake of not only herself, but for all of us um, in our family that, that rely on her and love her dearly. So um, hang in there and, and uh, don't give up. We're here for you.
0: Love you guys. See you next time.